welcome to another episode of the Better You Podcast. I am your host, Casey Maine, and I've just been having so much fun connecting with people and talking with people, and I have several interviews already recorded and all kinds of interviews already scheduled. So you might as well go ahead and hit that little subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to make sure that you do not miss a future episode. So I am, I don't want to say excited considering kind of the, the content of this conversation, but I'm, I'm happy to share this conversation with, with you all because it really, um, I don't know, it was, it was a very touching one for me to do. Um, in this episode, I talked to, it is our first guest from Across the Pond, and his name is Sam Jones. And I'll admit, I didn't know much about Sam's story going into this conversation, and I certainly was not expecting the story that he shared. After losing his friends and his future that he had planned for in a car accident, uh, Sam really opens up about his grieving process and he just shares it with incredible insight and vulnerability and even some humor and some wit. So no matter what your experience has been with grief or with loss, um, I know you're going to enjoy hearing Sam's story as he is just a wonderful example of resilience, but also the importance of acknowledging and accepting where we are in our process and whatever that might look like for us. So Please listen all the way to the end to hear my favorite takeaways. And also at the end of the episode, we will have another book recommendation. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sam. So I do want to give just like a little bit of background for people listening, because I think it's just such a funny story of how we even know each other. Yep. Uh, so I was on, I was a, a resident guest co-host on the Your BFF podcast for about six weeks and we kind of covered, uh, I did this like summer for self challenge and Mel, yep. the host of that podcast was super supportive. And so she was talking about it and promoting it out to her listeners. And that's how I met you, Sam, because you yeah. listen to, or you know, Mel through the podcast or how do you even know her? Yeah. Uh, by the podcast, uh, basically, uh, I do a podcast on entertainment shows like walking dead game of Thrones and things like that. So kind of like the podcast community, uh, she used to do a show on the walking dead as well called two dead chicks. Um, mm -hmm. so we kind of interacted from there, uh, became, uh, friends if you like, uh, via Twitter. And then we've been sort of talking. I mean, we talked daily ever since then really and uh she uh, said that i needed to do the summer for self challenge she said it was very important um threats were made uh <laughs> threats of exposure of certain pictures she has and uh, yeah so so I, I i did it um and uh, i i basically how we became to know each other a little bit well is i accused you of attacking me on a daily basis Yes, yes, you were um you were pretty vocal about how you felt <laughs> about my journal prompt questions. Well, yes, they were. They they seemed very geared, very uh <laughs> the designed to create havoc. <laughs> well, yes, they were. Um but a good type of havoc and they weren't specific they weren't meant to be specific to you, but I think the no. fact that you felt so personally attacked speaks to the fact that we're all dealing with so much of the same stuff. Like the circumstances just look different, but at our, yeah. like our deeper issues often are, are very similar. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed it. it. It was an interesting, uh, couple of weeks sort of experiment. And 
Uh, I enjoyed, uh, it's funny, I sort of enjoyed thinking about things or trying to think about things differently. So, you know, I, yeah. I think I said to you, I, I tended to get up for, for work very early in the morning. I, I tend to work till quite late. So I often see the sunrise, see the sunset, but don't actually see them. So whilst doing the challenge for you, it was a change of mindset for me of, OK, actually take five minutes and appreciate it rather than charging around like a headless chicken like I normally do. Yeah. Well, I mean, like we all do, like I catch myself yeah. doing that. like when I walk out to my car early in the morning to go to the gym, it's still dark out. And so I try and tell myself, like, just you're not in a rush, like just calm down and like mm. look up and are there stars up there? Cause that's kind of cool to like take a moment yeah. look at instead of just like go, 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 go. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it's uh, I suppose everyone could do it, but it certainly feels like a very modern thing with smartphones, computers, everything's uh, kind of instant now. And you tend to live your life, or at least I seem to live my life charging from one thing to the next and never really stopping to appreciate a moment. So it, it was interesting, and I did enjoy it. Despite all of the Twitter abuse I laid your way about the attacks, <laughs> I, I did enjoy it, I promise. Good. I'm, I'm glad you did. And I have to tell you, since you have a podcast that covers um, Walking Dead, so I, I watched yeah. all Game of Thrones, and I've been I've been a Walking Dead fan for a long time. Um, I've gotten out of watching it just because I like cut the cable cord and then finding a way to, to watch it became kind of a hassle, but yeah. I caught up not too long ago. And then just a couple nights ago, uh, my boyfriend and I started watching the most recent season. Cause now it's out on Netflix. Yeah. I mean, the, the show I do, we, we talk about, uh, anything in any entertainment show we get into basically is, uh, me and a co-host called Stefan. Um, and yeah, we started just purely the walking dead. And then it, uh, we also talk about fear, the walking dead, the spinoff, uh, we did all of Game of Thrones. We did like a recap and then the new season, which is quite funny because I made my friend watch every episode of all of the seasons and he became completely addicted, like obsessed because he was watching an episode to two episodes a day mm -hmm. in the build up to the final season. And now he, he, he won't forgive me because he really hated the final season. He feels completely let down like so many people. So <laughs> Yeah, I was not happy with the last, how they ended it. Yeah, it, it was rushed. I mean, we... I, I, you know, every, everyone's an expert on sort of how they would have ended it. But I think the only thing I think everyone can agree on, it just felt like it needed more time. Uh, you had six seasons of 10 episodes and really seven and eight needed to be 10 as well. Uh, but yeah, it is what it is. You've got to end it one way. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's what I talk about when I do podcasts anyway. So so this this is very different. This is this is new. This is me talking about me on this one yeah. with you. So Yeah, you're not allowed to reference no. zombies or dragons. No, I'm a little bit nervous. Okay. Don't yeah. <laughs> yeah. be nervous. Um, okay, so you host the podcast. What is the title of the podcast? Uh, it's called Stuff and Thangs Podcast. Thangs spelled T-H-A-N-G-S. Okay. Um, yeah, so if, if my voice and accent doesn't irritate your listeners, they can check me out <laughs> on that as well. And so that brings up a good point. You are in the UK. Where exactly are you? I am, yeah. I'm in a place called Bristol, which is southwest England. Um, yeah, most people know the UK as London. That is southeast. So I'm on the other coast. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So what do you do for a living? Uh, I run my own business. Um, I, I started in uh, banking, working for banks about uh, far longer ago than I want to think about because that tells everyone how old I am. Uh, I'll do it anyway. I'm, I'm 36. 
I uh, started when I was 18 working for banks, quickly realized that they were not nice people. Um, and then I changed sides, basically. I, I then started working for small businesses, uh, uh, taking on banks and finding ways around the system and helping people. And that's what I've done ever since. Uh, consultant, financial services. And if anyone's still awake, that that's what I do. <laughs> um, that, there's a lot of people in that industry, so I think that a lot of people are probably yes. fascinated by that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, fascinated. <laughs> okay, very cool. Any other kind of just basic cliff notes things we should know about your life before we get into the um, the deep stuff and what you would call the attacks? Uh, okay. Um, no, uh, I have a daughter. She's 11. She's just started what we call here senior school, so uh, high school, I guess, for you. Um, okay. and that's that's kind of rocked me a little bit. Yeah, I have a child attending sort of senior school. That's that's frightening to me. Um, but no, other than that, I, uh, let, let's get into the attacks. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, so, so okay. be nice. <laughs> Don't be nervous. <laughs> okay, so um, I, I gave you a little bit of a heads up about this, but really where I like to start with people is um, what I think is the kind of the most interesting and most critical time period of your life was take us back to like whenever you felt kind of the most disconnected from who you truly are like whether you were even really aware of it at the time or not like what did that look like for you okay um yeah I mean I you you did give me a little bit of a heads up so I did have a a think on that and I was I think possibly and I hope I hope a few people might relate to this I, I probably could have told several different aspects or different times of my life but I think the one that sticks out to me uh, retrospectively I look back and realize just how not in a good place I was um, it goes back I was quite young I was I was a teenager and uh, I was on a fast track to become a rugby player uh, rugby is a game here in the UK very similar to American football um, but without the full body armor so you know it's, you you got to be tough to play rugby not like the girls who play American football yeah he says yeah. Yeah. With that. yeah oh I had to <laughs> yes uh, but no you know what rugby is yeah no but uh, basically yeah I was on the fast track to play rugby I've been signed to a contract with a professional rugby club um, all of my friends were kind of going through that late teens phase of you know, going out, uh, partying, dates, etc. I was in the gym for two hours doing runs, sprint training and stuff like that. So I, I was happy. I was, I was very, very focused, a very, very singular focus on my mind of what I was going to do. Uh, and then it was it was kind of all snatched away. I, I was involved in a very uh, a fatal car accident. Uh, me and three friends uh, were in a car uh, we were struck on the way home about sort of two in the morning by a van. Unfortunately, the driver of the van had been drinking. Um, and my three friends I was in the car with sadly didn't survive. Um, I, I did. I, I was trapped in the car for sort of five or six hours until the until we were found and sort of cut free. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was a a moment um, where I'm both lucky because I, I did survive whereas uh, three other people my age didn't uh, but at the same time it, it completely ended any dream I had of playing rugby um, they sort of the I had a part of the car go straight through my knee um, and although it, I mean this is something I 
uh, obviously, you know, that was horrific and horrible, but the, the sort of part of the story I always uh, tend to leave out, I think, is after that happened, I there were there was a way back for me to sort of work my way back, like rehab wise, but mentally I just couldn't see it then. Uh, now at my age now, I look at that and think if my experience in my life could be put back into 17 year old, 18 year old me, I'd have that wherewithal to take my life forward from that point and recover and maybe still have had a shot. But unfortunately, uh, the accident happened, um, and say like it was a Sunday, it happened by the Wednesday, the club I'd signed for canceled my contract. So didn't even check to see if I was okay. Didn't speak to the doctors, just canceled it straight away. Um, by the following week, um, I was discharged sort of from the hospital back. Uh, funerals for my friends uh, sort of happened one after the other. Um, I'd, I'd finished school as well. And I'd, I'd, I'd sort of, uh, in conjunction with everything else, um, when you're at school, uh, it's sort of, I was 17, 18, you're surrounded by people every day. So, you know, I, I went, what I always say is I went from sort of having 200 friends, people that I knew around me every day to, to zero because I'd sort of come out of this. Uh, the people who were around me for rugby had just vanished, um, partly because they were focused on what they were doing. But the other thing is no one wants to sort of be around someone who's a reminder of how quickly it all could end, um, which a few of them have told me since. Uh, so, yeah, it was a very um, – uh, I felt very isolated, very uh, afraid, um, probably for the first time, because up to that point, I've been pretty fearless <laughs> with everything I've been doing, like most teenagers, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was it was kind of terrifying. It just everything that I had sort of in place vanished very, very quickly. And, my, you know, what uh, three friends in the car, one of them I'd been very close with since I was about three years old. Um, which uh, I don't even think to this day I've probably dealt with um, that loss. But it, it just, it, like I said, it, it kind of went from being knowing exactly what was going on with my life, completely focused to, to everything had gone and really being completely directionless, you know, not really, not really knowing where to go. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, wow. I was not expecting that. Okay. Um, my mind is, is like racing in so many different directions. So, um, who was, who was, were you driving the car? No, no, I wasn't. I was, I was a passenger in the car in the back. Okay. So then when you mentioned like you didn't, you could have put in the work to kind of rehab yeah. and get back into the rugby state and you didn't, do you think it was like, why do you think that was did it have to do with how difficult it would be or did you just kind of give up because of obviously i'm sure there was like an element of you know depression related to that time yeah yeah i I think i think looking back i probably was depressed um at at the time i I didn't recognize it or didn't understand if if i was um, but there, there was kind of two two main factors. One was hard work from that sense, like the physical hard work, wouldn't have put me off. I think if a doctor had sat me down and said, it's going to be hell for six months, but at the end of it, you're 100% going to be okay, that would have been all I needed to hear. 
Um, but unfortunately, no one, everything was very open-ended. And I completely understand why doctors and everybody's that way, because you don't want to tell someone anything 100%. Um, unfortunately, the world's gone very litigious as well, which means yes. that, you know, you, you tell me that I'm going to be fine and I'm not, I could sue you. So I completely understand why no one could do that. Um, now I'm older and I've spoken and, you know, experience and understanding the injuries, etc. a lot more. I, I understand that that would have been the reality. I could have put in six months really hard work, six months to a year, and, and I would have been okay. Um, but uh, so I think I think it was two things. I think one was um, I was I was grieving my friends uh, terribly, and also I, I felt um, uh, I, I suppose uh, I think they call it survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, I and whether people meant it or not, people really really made me feel guilty. Um, uh, one, you know, all uh, three of my friends, they were all in relationships. Uh, the, the three girlfriends really leaned on me afterwards, uh, which is fine. And, and they needed someone. But at the same time, they also needed someone to blame. Um, so whereas one day they'd be crying on my shoulder, the next day I'd be being hit. <laughs> you know, why? Um, and, you know, people get drunk and say things to them, it possibly the next day was gone, but it still lives with me now that at least two of them said it should have been you, not them. Oh my God. And like I said, and you can compartmentalize certain things where you can say, I completely understand the grief that they've gone through. I can completely understand that everything. And and it was in heat of moments of, you know, people drinking, but uh, unfortunately I'm, I'm blessed and cursed with a very, very good memory, which means that, I can remember every single moment of being in that car. I can remember laying, well, being trapped for hours looking into the face of my friends. So I can still remember that clearly. And I, unfortunately, I can also still remember every word said to me by <laughs> everyone uh, in the aftermath. And uh, to this day, I still speak to all those people. Um, and, you know, I've got no problems with any of everyone. You know, everyone's life moved on and myself and them included. But yeah, it is something that stuck with me. And at that time, I just couldn't, uh, you know, it was a choice. I I could do this hard work for a chance I could get better. Or I could uh, kind of just do what they had been doing, which was enjoying their lives. Um, You know, going out, going to parties, dating, all things I'd just completely not done. Um, So, yeah, that that was the route I went. and and I, you know, you talked about it at this beginning. You kind of put it to me: when was there a time of your life that you really weren't yourself? That was it. There, there was kind of two years where um, it was dating in the nicest possible sense of the word. <laughs> um, by dating, I mean the relationships wouldn't last longer than a day at best. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, drinking, um, and just two years of that of. Uh, you know, I was working literally to pay to go out. Uh, I worked as a, a doorman for nightclubs. Um, so it was kind of like the party never stopped. Mm-hmm. And, and that was two years. And at the time, I thought I was OK. <laughs> at the time, I really thought, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm having a great life. You know, I'm really enjoying myself. I'm having all this fun and everything. It's only it was only when I came out of it that I realized just how bad a place I was in 
And it was only years now I look at it and realize just how vulnerable really I was. So, so you were, um, what, like 17, 18 when this happened? Yeah, yeah, I, I would have been about that. I was trying to work out exactly, but it was, yeah, 17, 18. That's, um, I mean, that is a, a horrific thing to go through at any point in time in life. But, you know, that age, especially, like, you're not equipped. I don't think you're equipped to handle or process, like, all the emotions no. that go with something like that. And I mean, obviously like the girlfriends of your friends, I mean, you know, they're trying to process it as well. And that's yeah. why I'm sure it's, you know, would swing from, you know, support to, to blame. And so did you, did you make any attempts of, of trying to process it in a healthy way? Like, did anybody suggest therapy or did you consider no. that? Or did you go to any um, kind of groups? No, I mean, I, I don't know whether uh, um, a similar sort of thing. Uh, we uh, in the UK, as far as therapy is concerned, uh, at that point, were very behind uh, America in the sense of it being more normalized. Um, so, for example, uh, if anyone had, over, you know, I'd have been embarrassed if I'd had to admit at that point I needed to see someone for help. Mm -hmm. And the embarrassment of, having to admit that or go to somebody um, was far worse than anything else. And, and like I said, I genuinely believed as I came through those initial weeks and months and settled into this very unhealthy pattern I was in, I thought I was okay. Mm -hmm. So, so it was difficult for me to then admit. And, it, and like I said, it was only when I really came out of it, I realized just how bad I actually was and how, rather than dealing with anything or, or confronting anything, I just buried it. Um, yeah, just, yeah. just hitting it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I was just thinking that and you, you maybe were okay at that time because from the sense of you weren't feeling any of those feelings cause you, yeah. you would just completely push them aside. And I think that's something we all do with, with mm. big events like you went through, but then also with, smaller things if if an uncomfortable or painful feeling arises and we just decide I don't want to deal with it so we suppress it or push it aside or ignore it and then we are okay for a while but I just think that always that feeling whatever we're not processing it doesn't go away like it doesn't go anywhere so it always eventually comes back and bites us in the ass <laughs> yeah that's true I mean at that point I mean I didn't feel anything and like I said I I didn't recognize it at the time but I, I, I was numb. Um, and I, I, you know, I just felt nothing for anyone. Um, I struggled with family. Um, I struggled to, I think struggle to take things seriously, um, or, or see any point to what I was doing. So, you know, like, like I said about a career went into banking, you know, I, I had that lined up straight from, you know, school was kind of like my rugby fallback position. You know, I was, I was focused, laser focused on that career, but at the same time, I, I had my father sort of sat on my shoulder like, well, yes, that's absolutely right, but make sure you have a backup. And that was what I did. And I had that and I had these offers there. I, I just completely ignored them because it was like, well, why do I need a career? You know, what what good's this? I earn this. I spend this. That's it. You know, I, I, I struggled. I, I lived day to day, hand to mouth and struggled to think about a future 
uh, or or plan or do anything. And well, I think I, I think that makes sense. I, I guess I'm I'm not surprised by that because I think you know you were just all of a sudden faced with the concept of mortality and that yeah that death can happen out of nowhere, like completely unexpected. So I think it's understandable that then you would kind of go into this phase of like, what's the point of anything? Yeah. And maybe you can answer this, but I find a little bit disturbing to this day. Um, since then, I've, you know, I've, I've changed, matured, I think, in a lot of ways. I, I, I like to think I'm a very nice person. But whilst I was that damaged, I appeared to be like catnip to women. I, I don't understand that. <laughs> Maybe you can help me. But yeah, I, I, was, uh... I was in a bad place. I didn't care for anyone. I didn't care for myself, really. And I, I literally, uh, yeah, it was one a lot of dates and so to this day i look back at that and think i was in a terrible place why did anybody want to spend time with me (laughs) because think about it women we are a very nurturing gender like at at the basic animal instinct level and and i'm and these are broad generalizations but i think they they ring pretty true like women are nurturers and men are providers like from like just basic animal things have completely changed nowadays and and i'm all for all of that but i think yeah no i I know what you mean like a baser instinct kind of yeah and so and so i that is a very common thing that women will be attracted to or end up with or or be with men or want to be with men that you know they feel like they can fix like they want to make them happy they want to fix whatever's not fix like who they are but fix whatever's going on in their life and like nurture them and make them happy okay it's just always interested me and you know it happened to lighten the mood a little bit so yeah (laughs) Uh, okay let's talk about your your family for a second so are your parents together do you have siblings like what's your family makeup okay um yeah um no definitely not together uh they split when I was about uh, 10. Um, I, I have what I, what I always call a very complicated family. Um, basically, my father's been married three times. Um, my mother married twice. Uh, I have a number of half-siblings. Um, technically, I was the only child from my mum and dad, but uh, I was always raised, and we all were, that we were brother or sister. So, yeah, I, I grew up with uh, about... Four, uh, well, now in total, because my father married again, that's, that's nine sisters and three brothers in total, all, all half, you know, half brothers, half sisters. Were you close with them? Because you mentioned you were kind of raised as if you were just all full brothers. Yeah, we were. Um, I, I was close with, uh, very close to one of my brothers. Um, uh, yeah, very close when we were growing up. We were sort of close in age. Well, the closest in ages anyway. There were six years between us. He was older. Um, but yeah, we, we were very close. Did you, did you lean on any of, any of them or either of your parents for support and kind of any of those like honest conversations like during (laughs) this time? Well, this opens up uh, another avenue for you here. Oh boy. (laughs) Um, I I lived with my mother, um, and it was just us, you know, uh, older siblings, et cetera, had moved out. Um, my father had obviously, uh, moved on and was remarried uh it was just me and my mother living at home um at this point uh unfortunately my mum was uh 
uh, not well, um, mentally not well. She she is now diagnosed bipolar. Um, at the at the time, uh, doctors didn't recognize what it was or didn't know what it was, and uh, they just kept classing her as depressed or or the worst thing in the world. They said they she had a low mood. I'm still to this day not entirely sure what that constitutes, but they they kept giving her medication for um for depression. And anyone listening who has any understanding of bipolar is bipolar by definition is when you're low, you are low. It's bad. But then it's actually the next day is a reversal. It's you are high and you, you know, you think you're on top of the world. And and it can go like that within the hour, it can go like that within the day, or maybe week to week. It, you know, it changes. And so if you give someone <laughs> medication to try and kind of balance uh, depression, so in essence lifting them, you're and this person is bipolar who is already about to experience one of these highs anyway, you're basically sending them over the edge. <laughs> um, so un- unfortunately, uh, my mum wasn't a support. You know, it's no fault of her own, but she just had her own things going on and. She she uh, uh, a few days after the accident I was involved in, she went on holiday for three weeks, left me a note. Um, you know, the, there's food in the freezer <laughs> when you get home. <laughs> uh, you know, did it's, stuff it's, like that make you like, did you have any kind of emotional reaction to that? Like, were you upset? Were you not at the time? No, I mean, uh, up until the accident, I, I struggled with it up until the accident. I didn't know what to do because I was caught in this consistent uh, crossfire of if I tell people what's going on at home with my mother, um, she I'm going to get rehomed <laughs> in essence because I was you know younger when when I was thinking this. As I got older as uh, an older teenager, you know that that didn't bother me so much. But yeah, as I was younger, I was caught in this constant crossfire of you know you don't it's, it's your mum at the end of the day you don't want people to be upset with or doctors doing things with your mum so yeah it was very difficult at, at that point though like I said after the accident I was numb um there honestly I don't think anything could have made an impact on me at all it just I I came home from the hospital and I got dropped uh, I got dropped back by a friend um because I didn't want to let on to my father or anyone else that my mum wasn't there so uh, I got dropped home, found the note, and from memory I just laughed and just put it to one side and got on with, you know, uh, crutches hobbling around my house. Um, but yeah, it, like I said, there was just nothing that could make a dent. There really wasn't anything, and uh, and maybe if uh, relationships had been different with family, etc., I might have tried to open up, or they may have been able to open me up, but mm-hmm. because it wasn't. Um, like I said, it was just completely numb. There was no, uh, I had, uh, like I said, my, my closest friend had died in that car. Mm-hmm. So again, he possibly could have opened me up or he would have recognized, I think he, he'd have taken one look at me at that point and gone, yeah, you're not great. Um, and, and he wouldn't have let it go. He was, he was annoying like that. Uh, but, <laughs> but um, yes. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. He, yeah, really, yeah, sorely missed. But, it, um, yeah, there, there just wasn't anybody. Um, I'm, I'm kind of lucky in my life now. I, I have a couple of people who, who will grab me if if they ever think there's something wrong, or, or will at least, 
drop me a message and say, hey, you know, I, I didn't hear from you, which is un, unusual. Uh, and also, I think just through that life experience of being that alone for a couple of years or feeling that alone, I tend to be that person now where I will message people. So I will sometimes sit down with my phone. I think most of us got a chat app of some sort of WhatsApp, et cetera, that we use to keep in touch with people. Quite routinely, I will just sit there and just fire messages at people I know, just, hey, how are you? Um, just because I don't like the idea of anybody that I'm friends with having those moments like I did. Mm-hmm. Do you think that when you were in those moments, had friends reached out to you, like you just said, and sent messages like, hi, how are you? Like, what would your, how would you have responded to that? Would that have <clears throat> even on a surface level? Yeah, I think it might have done. Um, it is difficult to say because I I was in a very negative place. Um, the sort of where even if uh, people tried to do something nice, I, I tended to make it negative in my mind. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example. A, a friend of mine, again, who I'm very close with, again, we, we grew up together. Um, I think perhaps he tried. Um, he kind of showed up at my house one day, uh, take away... Uh, you know, DVD, come on, let's, let's sit and chat and everything. And I remember sitting, having, having a fairly nice evening, but then my reaction was after he left, it was kind of like, oh, what does he want? <laughs> it was yeah. it was this, just everything was negative. I, I managed yeah. to turn everything negative, and uh, it took me quite a while to shake that. It, it really did take me a long time to shake that. All right, yeah, so you mentioned, um, you know, you kind of lived this party full of ladies, lonely lifestyle. Yes. Until at what point did you realize that wasn't working for you? And like, how did you know, like what, what kind of, yeah. That? Um, uh, a female friend of mine, um, <laughs> uh, she, she actually, um, uh, she, I'm trying to think the best way of wording it. She was struggling herself. Um, a female friend of mine, uh, realized at quite a young age that she was gay she was a lesbian and she struggled because her family through religion etc um would literally cast her out she would Mm -hmm. be kicked from the home be made homeless so she kind of kidded herself for years um with boyfriends and i i had a conversation with her once where i said you do realize that I know and it's kind of the most obvious thing in the world and you you really need to stop living this lie because you're just going to end up at some point you know whether it's today tomorrow 10 years from now you're gonna just have enough of this and and she kind of hit this realization and she looked back at me and said when are you going to realize that you're not happy and you're not going to do you're not living your life and etc. And I was sort of scoffed like, huh, who do you think you are saying that to me? And then realized she was right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we kind of helped each other. Um, she went home and had this conversation. She was still living at home at that point. Uh, unfortunately what she thought would happen did happen. Her family completely disowned her and she actually came to live with me. Um, and we, between us over the next year, uh, helped each other um she stopped me dating quite so much and would have me <laughs> if i was to go on a date it would actually be a date rather than what i was doing before um 
she she was um would uh, i mean it's it's really simple things like uh she she made me go to the interviews for the for the career um and even though i was still feeling numb and even though i was still um not seeing the point at this at that moment the fact that i had someone there every day who gave a damn and was telling me to do it i i kind of just went with it i um she she had this thing she'd say to me every day and i think it's an expression uh a lot of women know uh, fake it till you make it <laughs> and, and she would say this to me every day she you know the world expects you to do this so fake it till you make it and we'd say it to each other constantly and just gradually over you know it might not be the <laughs> most healthy way of doing it but Gradually over that year, I just remember feeling more and more like myself. And and as that happened, it was then the realization of, oh, wow, I really wasn't happy. You know, that that party lifestyle I was living really actually wasn't fun. Um, you know, I, I didn't enjoy it. And, and then I suddenly realized I've come out the other side and, and she did as well. And I'm very pleased to say she's she's married to a lovely woman now and is very happy. So you two were almost like accountability partners. <clears throat> like you yeah. called her out, she turned around and immediately called you out. She did, and yeah. then you were able to, it's like there was no more masks between the two of you. It was kind of like, Oh yeah, I'm not happy. And I'm not really being me. And Oh yeah. Like me too. And so then once that's like out in the open, like you can't <clears throat> necessarily ignore it. You might be able to ignore it with all your other friends, yeah. but not with her. No, and, and I couldn't, um, you know, and, and she and she had this look. I think every woman has a look. Um, every woman I've ever known certainly has a look that if I see, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> and and she had a look and we'd be doing something or we'd go for a drink and perhaps she'd spot me falling into a pattern and I'd glance across, I'd see the look and I'd immediately have to go to her and, okay, what have I done? Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right, I'm sorry. And and it lasted a little while, but then over time, like I said, it it just um, I started to realise things myself. I didn't need uh, her Jimity Cricket ass to telling me what I was doing and why I needed to change. Um, I, I developed that again myself, and and also um, she kind of forced me to face up to things uh, with, with regards to my friends. Um, she she forced me to face up to uh, the rugby career, etc. She. She was very subtle, um, in no way at all. She signed me up to do a coaching course so I could coach rugby, coach kids. Um, and she literally took me there, didn't tell me what it was, and just left me there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she she pushed me to confront everything. And uh, I, I kind of owe who I am now to her. Uh, she says the same about me. She She's far better at saying it, though. She, so I should get her on your show because it makes you sound great. <laughs> But yeah, no, she um yeah, she she really helped me and I like to think I helped her a bit as well. How long did you guys live together? Uh for about a year and then um she she had a thawing with her family where they you know would acknowledge she existed again, which was kind of a, a um, an amazing thing. Um and she went to live with her her brother for a while. Um and from there she was able to kind of rebuild a bit of a relationship with her family uh unfortunately i don't think that relationship's ever going to be what she wants it to be but they they do all talk now 
which compared to where she thought it was going to be at the start of that year we lived together, it's definitely an improvement. Yeah. All right. So she kind of helped you almost like a, a nice little like kickstart to kind of change some basic lifestyle habits and start moving in the right direction. And all of that is fantastic and like absolutely necessary. And I think that's almost where you have to start, like kind of not that any of it was easy, but it's easier to tackle. I think sometimes the external stuff than it is the internal. So, yeah, you know, sure. you, you get the career going and um, kind of mend your relationship with rugby in terms of coaching yeah. kids, which I think is amazing. But then how did you or have you even kind of started to unpack the internal like feelings associated with I mean, that that very specific event, but that had like multiple impacts. Um, uh, I think if I'm completely honest, no, I haven't. Um, I think I I once described it to somebody is one day I felt OK and I put all of that in a drawer and I never looked back. Mm-hmm. Um At some point now, and I'd say this as well, at some point I know I need to open the drawer uh but it's it's different times in your life um you can deal with things better than others and i think what i've at my wise old age 36 now um i i've realized that some points in my life um there are there there's a time i can open that drawer and there's a time i can't um in the past where i've been feeling okay and settled i've maybe tried and realized that i wasn't ready um right now in particular i know i shouldn't try and open it i should i should leave it where it is um at some mm-hmm. point at some point i think i will i, I think the, uh, i think the biggest problem is is i i don't know or it's hard to put in the words this is i i've grieved for my friends i've grieved for the loss in every sense from losing my friends to uh, losing the the kind of path I was on as well, I, I've I've done that and I feel like I've come the other side of that. So it's kind of like I know there's stuff in the drawer, but I'm not actually sure what it is. And right. it's kind of like almost like the fear of the unknown. Um, but it does still influence me. Um, I still uh, driving, for example, sometimes I just can't, um, which has been diagnosed as PTSD um you know there's just some times where my brain goes nope you're not doing that <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. you you can and that took a long time to accept uh it took a long time to kind of get through my mind that yeah it wasn't weakness or or uh, perhaps it is but it, it just in my mind now I can go do you know what that's not gonna happen today um so I'm gonna do something else and again whether that's healthy or whether it's avoidance I, I don't know but it's it's how I'm how I'm dealing with it anyway well you know I think I think you're right in the sense that now there might be some people that argue and say oh no like you know open that drawer and process it and it's going to be tough but push through and get to the other end but I, I do believe that timing matters so much and you have to be ready and I believe that we have different seasons in our life. And I think that we have seasons where we're going through a bunch of stuff. We have seasons when we're processing a bunch of stuff. And then we have seasons maybe where we're just kind of 
idle and like not really doing anything, like almost just like resting. So I think it's, I mean, my unprofessional, just personal opinion is that I think it's fine if you're not ready to to go there yet. Like you're, you're aware of it and you're in touch with your readiness level. And if it's not there yet, it's not there. And like, as far as, you know, I I think it's great. You've, you've gone through the the grief part of it as far as what else is left in there. Like I imagine there's anger. Um, and I imagine there's other types of maybe negative emotions, but then ultimately, you know, I think the goal is to get to like peace and acceptance and, I know there's like five stages of the grieving process. I don't know what they yeah, are. Yeah, no, I, 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 I unfortunately had them written down for me on a number of occasions. So, yeah, I do them <laughs> You're like, acceptance. oh, don't talk to me about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's the, the five stages. I um, No, it's, it's one of those things where I think, like I said, and I mean, you put it quite well then, like seasons of your life where you, you know how you are and, Again, part of getting older is recognizing or getting to know yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just just over a year, you know, your mood, your your kind of everything can change so dramatically. Uh, you know, in in one year or or in, in sometimes in a week. <laughs> you know, um, so so just just uh, being aware of all, and I, and I just know right now uh, for for everything in my life, uh, it needs to stay in the door. Yeah. Uh, at some point I'll open it and hopefully I'll be able to deal with it and it, uh, I can then get rid of that damn filing cabinet full of drawers that'd be good but yeah. um but yeah right now staying locked up <laughs> okay well that's fine um yep. I, I I ultimately I think we all know deep down what is best for us and what we need to do and so yeah. as long as that is like your truth that if you're just not ready yet then that's fine if you know you're ready, but you're just saying you're not because you're scared, that's another story. And that's where it comes True. down to just yeah. being in touch with how we really feel like deep down and then, you know, being honest about it. And even if the honesty looks like, yeah, I know I need to do it, but I'm just too scared. Like that's still yeah. awareness and honesty. Yeah. Yeah. No. And being honest about it is something that took me a while. Uh, you know, it was I'd get asked all the time, um, are, are you okay? How are things? And, and it's funny, I only said this to somebody the other day. At some point, and I think, again, it's an age thing, my default answer for how are you, rather than just being, oh, I'm fine, you, has changed to tired, but okay. Um, but definitely that's an age thing. But, I, yeah, I, I kind of went into this, I was lying to myself, and I was lying to everybody around me when they said, you know, you know, are you okay? Is that all right? Yeah, of course. You know, why why aren't you driving? Oh, you know, just just fancy to change, or you know, it just yeah. it, it takes like walking. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes a while to to face up to that, and and still to this day, I don't open up to everybody about this. I mean, I've just done it on a podcast, but you know, there's besides yeah. that besides everyone listening to this i've, I've told yeah, you nobody no this is gonna go on yeah. the internet right yeah yeah that's fine there's worse videos of me on the internet <laughs> do you know what actually there's not and i'm really thankful for that because uh, i don't know uh, probably if you're sort of similar age thank goodness camera phones weren't so peripheral when i was young and stupid because that two-year period we talked about, if camera phones were everywhere like they are now, oh, there would be, YouTube would have its section for me, I can tell you. 
Oh my, no, I feel the exact same way. Luckily in like the throes of my party days, like I carried a disposable camera around. So like that, ah, was, shoot, yeah. that's where yeah. pictures lived. And so then they, you know, there's actual print photos yeah. of them, of which I've tried to destroy, but yeah, Definitely, I, mean, yeah. I, I feel bad for the, yeah. the young generations. They don't even, they don't even, well, they don't even know. The idea that, that there could be videos of me, you know, pole dancing shirtless in nightclubs and things like that is <laughs> i'm i'm happy that i managed to get away with that i think i'm very lucky <laughs> you know what though but you also like and i'm not trying to make light of anything but like you no. you've got a great card you can play as like an excuse like i was grieving and then tell yeah. people what happened no one's gonna blame you then no no i mean I, yeah i mean I've, I've got stories from those two years which are which are very funny I think that brings up a, a good point, though, because like when you when you talk about those years of your life, you know, it's kind of in this sense of, um, you know, that it wasn't working for you, that you weren't happy. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I struggle with this because like I had I had several a whole phase of my life where I was just out and partying and drinking a lot. And yeah. and then when I kind of got on the other end of it was really when I kind of get started to get into my 30s and I would look back on it almost with this like regret of I wasn't being true to who I am. Like I was just masking all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. But then recently I've more come around to like, it's like your perception. It's all like relative. So at the time it was working for me and I was having fun. And then it just, that lifestyle didn't work for me. So it's like easy to look back and almost judge it. But I also think like it's, it's what I needed at the time. It's what you needed at the time. And it was just a step of the process. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can look back and that the two years and I can say uh, hand on heart that I wasn't happy and it wasn't good. But at the same time, I think one of the things, again, uh, with age and realization is that even when you're in a bad place, you know, uh, feeling depressed or anything, that doesn't mean you can't have a good day. That doesn't mean that you can't have a nice evening. It doesn't mean that during that bad time, there aren't pockets of good that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those two years, I can pick out uh, silly memories, like I've just said then, um, or, or some good. Um, like uh, I had uh, my father's third marriage. Uh, younger sister was born. Um, I was always the youngest of all my siblings. And then this beautiful, wonderful thing came along, my younger sister. Um, you know, grew up to be really annoying and a smart ass, but you know, then she was wonderful. Um, but yeah, genuinely there. So even in those moments, and I think sometimes, especially uh, when people, and again, this is just my, my thoughts, uh, you can kind of think, well, oh no, I can't do that because you know, I'm, I'm not well at the moment or, or I'm down and you know, I, I can't think of that as a good thing or I can't enjoy that. It's not true. You can, you can accept I'm I'm in a bad place right now, but at the same time, I, I enjoyed that evening. Or, you know, overall, I'm not good, but I'm, I enjoyed that or I did that and that was okay. I, I think realizing that helped me a lot because the, the confusion of I'm not happy, but at the same time, it, it's, been, it's been fun that time. I think the confusion is what led to that period of two years lasting as long as it did. Um, I think if I'd been able to recognize you can be in a bad place, but then still have these moments, I may have sort of found my way out of it a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that, that's a good point. And it makes me think of um, a good friend of mine wrote about this recently. It's like we tend to live in this like either or mentality, but it yeah. can be both and like. Yeah, it can. Yeah. And so that's that's a good point. Like when I look back on kind of my party days, there was a level of unhappiness there, but there was also a ton of fun and great friendships and great memories. So it was both and it's not necessarily you're either happy or you're not happy. Well, one one more question that I'm just kind of curious about, and then we'll yeah. we'll end the attacks and let you go. But, um, you know, there are people that believe a certain concept and those that don't. I'm just curious where you stand in the concept that like everything happens for a reason. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's it's a difficult one. I'm I'm not religious in any way. Um, but I once had a a conversation with one of my friends who was where I told him I was very jealous of him. And the reason why I say that is because he does genuinely believe that in his heart. He believes that everything happens for a reason. So any bad things that happens in his life, anything that he's confronted with, he can take a deep breath and he can find solace in the fact that he believes that even if it's the most terrible thing, there will be some good come from it for him. Unfortunately, I don't. Um, but as I've just said, I have told him on a number of occasions I'm jealous of that because I, I think I'd find that very peaceful. But unfortunately, no, I I can find no reason for a child getting cancer. I can find no reason for my friend to be taken from me the way he was and the guy who killed three of my friends to still be living and happy. And to this day, he served six months in jail for killing three people. Mm. um so yeah i i find no reason for that and i struggle with that but yeah i'd i think i'd find it very peaceful and i and yeah i tell him often i'm very jealous of that uh as he tries to convince me i could go that way but i can't this i think everybody's wired differently i think with me um possibly through life experience it just it's just never it's never been one thing that I can believe. Mm-hmm. There's, um, it, it's funny that question came to me and then actually I, I was listening to a podcast this morning. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to get this parable correctly. And I don't even know if this parable is from a religious standpoint or not, but, okay. um, the guy, um, it was Luke story being interviewed and he's, I'm a big fan of him in kind of the, like biohacking world or whatever. And he was, talking about this parable that there's this man and he has, um, a, a son and then the son ends up getting like badly injured. And so everyone kind of in the village is like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he was just like, well, you know, we'll see. And then, um, there ends up being like a war and people are getting, you know, drafted into the war, but the son isn't drafted because, you know, he's got this injury. And so then the people in the village are coming back and saying, Oh my God, that's so great that he doesn't have to go to war. And, you know, he's like, Oh, we'll see. And so I guess it continues to go on and on of just kind of like, almost like that butterfly effect of every if, if we're going to label things like a good can yeah. lead to a bad, which then leads back to a good. And it's kind of yeah. never ending. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. Like I said, I'm, I'm not uh, religious in any way, um, but I, through happenstance, I've, I've read every, I, I read, there's something about me I'll share. I, I read everything, anything put in front of me from biographies, autobiographies to fiction, nonfiction. I love to write. Uh, I'm not very good, but I love to try. Um, but I, 
I will read absolutely everything. And I've read every religious text from every major religion you can think of. And then I've even read Scientology book just for, you know, giggles. Um, but one of the things I always take from it is there is a lot of, um, whether you believe in God, higher power, or anything like that, there's a lot of very smart teachings across all of these books. And it's, I think it's why it's so intoxicating for people and, and why you, you can find such comfort in the pages sometimes. Um, but uh, as you were talking about sort of like, um, you believe in uh, sort of the the fates, if you like, or everything happened for a reason. It reminds me of the, uh, the you probably know this, people listening, there, there's uh, sort of like a, a joke, if you like, about the man and he's sat on top of the roof of his house whilst it's flooding everywhere. And uh, and he's a religious man and the helicopter arrives and he says, no, God will save me, go away. And then a man in a boat arrives and he says, no, God will save me, go away. And the man drowns. And when he gets to heaven, he asks God what he did wrong. And, you know, why, did, why didn't you save me? He says, well, I sent the helicopter, I sent you a boat, what more do you want? And, and it kind of, to me, that always sticks in my mind is, you know, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> if that makes yep. sense and yeah uh, like i said i'm not a religious person but these little things do stick in my mind and uh, i kind of think to myself that people who sit back waiting for uh something to happen for them whether you believe that's going to be fate the universe or god you know you need to make that happen you need to do something yourself because I, it's not a coincidence the harder i work the luckier i seem to be <laughs> so yeah um that that it just that's life experience that i've had uh but yeah this uh, i always like that story joke slash fable <laughs> yeah no i i i agree with that 100 percent. i think we tend to be too focused on external circumstances to make us happy or or fulfill us or you know whatever it may be and ultimately it always comes down to us internally like we yep. truly do create our lives on every level yeah no i agree yeah no i do agree okay so one um i have two questions that i want to end on um yep. one is just you know because this is like the better you podcast what is kind of your priority right now in terms of what you're working on for yourself and then a second part of that question just because you know you've you've been through a lot and you've, and you've come out the other side and granted there might be still work to do, but you've come out the other side of a, of a really bad situation that some people could maybe get stuck in forever. So for people who have dealt with some kind of tragedy that, that they weren't expecting and that really kind of rocked their world, like what is one piece of advice you would give them to maybe kind of help them step towards the other side. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll answer the easier of the two first, if you don't mind. Uh, what I'm working on with myself is is my health, um, better fitness. I, I've kind of set myself a goal. Uh, despite being 36 and the, the rugby professional rugby career being a thing of the past, I, I was invited to play in a charity game. And I looked at it and thought, well, there's absolutely no way I could do that. You know, I'm just simply not fit enough. And I'd, I'd get frustrated, you know, I was at a certain level and if I can't do that again. And then it suddenly hit me that uh, this charity games every year. And so I said, OK, not this year, but yes, I'll play next year. 
and it's given me a real focus. Um, I've got a year to try and get back to some sort of semblance of where I was. Uh, in essence, do the work I could have done when I was 17, 18, but I'm going to try and do it now. Um, yes. So that is something I'm doing for me. I'm about a month into that. The, the game is next June. Okay. It's the, the first weekend of June. Uh, yeah, 4th, I think. 4th of June. Um, so, yeah. So so that's the plan. Um, with regards to the other thing, I, there's a couple of things that I've learned. Uh, one is uh, there is no right or wrong way to grieve. Um, was, everyone had an opinion for me uh, when I when I lost my friends, or and everyone had told me how I should feel, how I should act, how how I should go about things. And and one of the things I learned really quickly is there is no right or wrong way. Give yourself time um, and also don't be hard on yourself because I, I'm, I'm terrible for that. I am my worst enemy and I was when I was younger. So there were days where I just wanted to cry and I wouldn't let myself. Um, I, I don't think uh, – I'm trying to think now. No, I didn't. I, I never shed one tear from the hospital to the funerals to months to years I don't think I actually cried about losing my friends and that till the 10 year anniversary of it happening. Um, and I really lost it, <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't allow it. I, I just, and again, if I could go back and give myself advice or I could give it to anybody else is don't be hard on yourself. Don't try and allow societal expectations of, especially uh, I think this is more enamored on men. I'm sure it's, it's both genders, but, you know, it was a real sign of weakness for a man to cry, you know, and just I, I couldn't, you know, definitely couldn't do it in public. And even in private, you know, I wouldn't allow it. Just like, nope, come on, do something else. Don't, you know, don't be a wimp. Um, uh, just just kick all that away. It's nonsense. It's crap. It's uh, patriarchal, almost rubbish that we can all just ignore. Um, it just let yourself feel what you need to feel. Be patient with yourself. And try and find at least one person who you can actually tell everything to. It sometimes is better when it's not someone so close to you. Like I, I like now, for example, I, I've got a friend who um, confides in me about all sorts of things, um, but couldn't say that to their family, etc., because they'd worry and they'd immediately want to fix it. You know, they'd, they'd immediately, oh, no, you've got this problem. Right, let's let's do this, do that. And that would only make it worse. So what, what she does is she contacts me and I listen, we talk, and that's it. That's all she needs. And I think a lot of people need that. You know, sometimes maybe it's not your partner you need to confide you know something in it's not you know not your direct family it's someone just that little one step back a friend who you can just say you know I'm, I'm having a tough time with this and just you know have someone to listen if you can find that that will really help there you go hopefully I, hopefully that helps that i i love all of that advice and i think you're so right and this was um Glennon Doyle talked about this in a, in a talk she gave at like an Oprah thing about how that is what we really need is we just need someone else to sit with us and allow us to feel however we're feeling yeah. and not try and downplay it and not yeah. try and fix it, not try and like 
you know, justify, just allow it. And so I think that's a really important like level of connection and can be very healing. Yet we, we rarely do that. And especially, you know, to your point, especially if you're really close with people, it's like you, you want to fix it because you don't want them to be in pain, but maybe what they really need is just for you kind of almost, I guess, to just hold the space to allow them to just feel however they're feeling and not feel the need to do anything about it. And it's something I've had to work on for myself um, because the realization that I needed that uh, suddenly triggered in me the realization that my natural personality is I like to try and fix things. So mm-hmm. someone comes to me with a problem, my my brain immediately goes, oh, well, just do this. And so I got to work on the fact that actually, no, that's not what people need. <laughs> um, so I know there are probably people listening to, to this thinking, oh, just, just do this, just do that. But yeah, sometimes you just need to just let it be listened. And, and sometimes people will come to me and talk and talk and talk. And then at the end say, what would you do? And that's the opportunity then to say, well, if it was me, perhaps do this. But it is something I consistently work on, which is not to try and fix things and actually just listen and uh, I think it helps I I agree completely um thank you so much for for sharing your story and just for all the honesty and all the vulnerability um I I didn't know really anything about your story going into this no and I certainly um I wasn't expecting that so but you're and I love that you're honest about just still being in process because I think that's another key thing is we tend to wait until we feel like we're through all of it and then share, but to be able to share and just be like, yeah, you know, I got this drawer feelings, not ready to deal with it yet. Like that, that's, I don't know. I I think that that's, that's very impactful just to the willingness to be honest about that. So thank you so much. Oh, no, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. See what I mean? It's just, it's such a heart wrenching story, but Sam really just tells it in, in really a beautiful way. So thank you again, Sam, for your willingness to share your story with us. There were so many great parts of it, but if I had to choose favorites, it would be that similar to episode one with Graham, Sam's story is just another great example of the potential impact we can have if we just reach out to each other. I think so often we kind of get busy with our days and we have those moments where we think, you know, I need to reach out to so-and-so because something seems off or you know that they're going through something and then life happens and we get busy and we don't, or, or we think we need to call them and it needs to be this huge long conversation and we don't have time for that, but really maybe just the simplest of messages showing somebody that we're thinking about them and we care can, can really lift their mood. And then furthermore, how sometimes we can go a step further and literally help change each other's lives. I love the part of Sam's story when him and his friend lived together and essentially just became accountability partners for each other to help each other move more in the direction of life that would make them happier. And that was kind of truer to who they really are. Like I thought that was really incredible. Another favorite takeaway is how it's okay if you're not ready to deal with something yet, just Be aware of that and be honest with yourself about where you are and then honor that. How things don't have to be either or, they can be both and. You can be in a bad place and still have good days or good nights or moments of joy or laughter. And most importantly, to not be hard on yourself. Allow yourself to go through the process however it looks for you. Not what society deems is the right way to grieve or how anyone else has advised you to do it, but instead to just listen to yourself, be kind to yourself 
and allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you need to feel. Thank you all so much for listening. I did want to let you know that the challenge that Sam and I joke about in the beginning of the episode is still available. It was originally a summer related challenge, but I rebranded it so that it can be available year round. And you can find out more about that on my website, caseymain.com. It's under the grow with me section and it is free. And essentially it is a 40 day commitment to spending more time with yourself, doing the things that you enjoy doing, as well as just taking a little bit more time in self-reflection. And it does include a daily email with a journal prompt or a, an, an attack as Sam would say, but it's really just to help get you thinking about maybe um, some aspects of your life, past, present, or future that you maybe haven't intentionally sat down and thought about yet. So that is available and it is free. Also, please follow the podcast on Instagram at the better you podcast. And if you have feedback on the episode or have a recommendation for an upcoming guest or want to share your story, um, then please email me at the better you podcast at gmail.com. After this, you'll hear another book recommendation. And this one is going to be actually from a previous uh, guest on the show. And if you have a recommendation for a book or an article or a podcast or whatever it may be, whatever has helped you better understand yourself or life in general, then please record just a short voice memo and you can email me that at the better you podcast at gmail.com. Okay. So that's it for now. I will see you guys next time. What's up guys. It's Lauren Leonelli host of it's complicated podcast. And you heard my story on episode five, recognizing the hard. The book I want to share with you is called E squared by Pam Grout. Guys, this book is an easy read, and the best part is it's filled with experiments that you can actually do to prove that your thoughts create your reality. It's a good one. Enjoy.